0: To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this quick episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, I'm joined by Kinesh Chug of ETF Securities as we dive into the ESTX ETF. This is an ETF that's focused on the European stock market. So if you're interested in this exposure, we talk about what the fund does, the opportunity in Europe, as well as some of the exciting companies hidden within this ETF. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Kinesh, wonderful to have you on the program as always, mate.
1: Owen, thank you for
0: having me back. We're going to talk about another ETF today. We've got the ETF Securities Eurostoxx50 ETF. It's on the ASX under the ticket code ESTX. So this is one that's been really interesting recently because a lot of our followers have actually written in to say, how do I get exposure to Europe? For one reason or another, whether it's the recovery out of COVID or whether it's just for really interesting companies, um, a lot of our investors want exposure to Europe. And my answer has always been, well, check out the ESTX ETF. So here we are. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go through some of the companies that are inside it, and how it's put together, and what you can use it for. But first of all, maybe I'll ask the question to you, why why do people and why do investors want this ETF? Like what is it that they're coming to and saying this is good exposure for?
1: So I think to, the best way to answer that question is the what is the index that the ETF is tracking? So the ESTX ETF tracks the Eurostox 50 index. Now, what is that index? That essentially is the 50 largest blue chip companies out of the Eurozone. So there's no UK exposure. It is purely the Eurozone um, countries. So countries like France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Netherlands, et cetera. Now... Investors want exposure to Europe, and they, I think they're growing. It's it's sort of growing. I think what people over the past few years, I think Europe's been a bit of their, the forgotten child in the investment mm. world. Um, it makes up close to, I think, 20% of you know global markets. It is a large portion of, of the world economy, but people often forget that they should have some exposure to Europe, and there's some really well-known names um, within the the Eurostoxx 50. And um, I think to to also break it down in terms of the index itself, that is the equivalent of the ASX 200. It is the index that people look at when they're looking at, well, how has Europe performed? Um, They look at the Eurostoxx 50. So Mm. for us, what we're seeing is as people's attention start to move again towards Europe, they're starting to say, well, how do I get exposure? Do I want the UK? Do I not want the UK? Is Brexit, is whatever else, you know, issues I have, how do I consider investing in this region? And the Eurostox 50 gives them a a really easy, low-cost way to access um, Europe specifically. In in one single trade, they get the 50 largest companies. And especially in the current um, time, I think Europe's really performed very well um, whether when you look at it against some of the it's, um, you know the US market, and also in terms of some some of the underlying names, while they're based in Europe, they are global companies in themselves.
0: Mm. Why why does the ETF not include the UK? Is there so, a specific
1: reason? Yeah, so we purposely um, had this approach because we wanted to give investors the ability to invest specifically into Europe, um, Europe, right. uh, Europe operates somewhat differently in terms of the UK market as well. So in terms of the makeup of the UK markets from a sector base, et cetera, it is slightly different to how people would view Europe um, and the European market in the European market, in terms of sectors, you know, consumer discretionary IT industrials are some of the largest makeups within the Euro stocks 50 index. What Mm. you find is, you know, within the UK, they're heavy on, you know, resources in particular. Um, so for us, we wanted to, to separate that out. Um, it was also a point of difference to other existing funds that were in the market, which all offer broad Europe and UK. And so the investment thesis to invest in the UK or the investment thesis to invest in Europe are two different theses. So we wanted to give optionality to investors, say, well, if you want to invest just in the Europe um, region, how do you do that? And you couldn't do that previously so that, that that was a the, the a big reason behind this and also from the standpoint of when investors are building core building blocks within portfolios and looking at how to build the, you know the foundations of a portfolio well the eurosox 50 is you know as we call it the ASX 200 so if you're looking for a low cost passive solution well that's what that that is exactly what it's it's designed to do it has it's not looking to target specific sectors. It's not looking to target specific, um, you know, outcomes. Whether that's you know, yield or volatility, um, it is really just looking at a very broad view on what the European market is.
0: It's, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I think often Europe, at least in the past decade, right, has been a bit forgotten by investors relative to the U.S. Because in the U.S., we think when we think global stocks, especially younger investors, they tend to think, oh, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, Google. You know, and Microsoft—they're just thinking totally U.S. companies, and they, they are geographically—you know—their revenue is geographically diverse. But in terms of having exposure to some of the the companies that have been around for a hundred plus years, you want to look to Europe for that exposure. And so, like, I'm just looking at a name here, which is like L'Oreal, right? L'Oreal, fantastic company, global company. Um, but there are heaps of others on this list. Can you maybe? Um, what, what are some names that people could expect to get exposure to? Like if they invested, we're recording this in September 2021.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What kind of companies would they maybe get exposure to if they invested yeah. in this?
1: Yeah. So I just wanted to answer that one point, though, in terms of investors forgetting Europe. Um, I don't know. I think some investors probably have forgotten about Europe, but I think a lot of investors also chose to ignore Europe because yeah. of the, the debt crisis that they were going through post the GFC. Um, you know, that dragged on, you know, the, the whole sort of saying of um, the ECB was sort of kicking the can down the road and they kicked that can down the road for a long time. And um, you also had Brexit. So for a lot of reasons, Europe just trudged along in terms of the market. It didn't do that badly, but it just trudged along in terms of equity returns. And so a lot of investors were saying, well, why am I going to look at Europe, which essentially could be seen as a value play for a lot of investors and how how they perceive the underlying stocks versus looking at companies like Facebook and Apple and, you know, Amazon and Tesla real growth names that were doing exceptionally well and have done exceptionally well over the past decade. So I think people are now looking back at Europe because I think from an earnings Mm -hmm. perspective, you know, that's a key driver of investor interest and corporate profits. are forecast to grow faster in Europe this year than the U S So I think there was some estimates suggesting that they may rise about 45% in Europe compared with 34% in the US. And a lot of that earnings growth is anticipated in that services sector, the consumer discretionary sector, which again, makes up a big part of the Eurostoxx 50 index. Um, And you also have this idea of that, you know, rotation to value, which whether people still believe it is the case at the moment But there could be this case that if, especially if interest rates are rising around the world, there is that sort of rotation to value that may occur, and a lot of the European companies are considered a a good value play from that perspective. Mm. But to your question then, I guess, in terms of the the holdings that you get exposure to, so some really, as you mentioned, some historical, some names that have been around for for decades. So if we look at the consumer companies, you mentioned Mm -hmm. L'Oreal, but another big one is Louis Vuitton Moet hennessy or LVMH. Mm. Now, this is a company that is situated and domiciled in Europe, in France, but it is a global company. You know, most of us will have known of one brand that LVMH sells, whether it's a consumer luxury brand or whether it's even you drink champagne and you drink, you know, Moe, mm. you know, that is in itself part of their their, their umbrella. And they actually did a, a deal So with um the Chinese company JD.com. So it gives them access to about 450 million active users of JD.com's um, website. So all of a sudden, they're looking at this in terms of you're buying a com- an ETF that gives exposure to LVMH, a European company, but it's global revenues. And I think when you think about LVMH, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting because as I mentioned, it's, it makes champagne, handbags, perfume, clothes, but it's even gotten to a point where it finalised the purchase of Tiffany and Co, mm. it struck a partnership with Jay Z, the, the American rapper. It's bought 50 percent of his champagne brand. Um, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but it's I think it's Armand de Brignac um, for about 300 million US. Um, so you're seeing this big push um, in luxury goods, and it's actually also not just coming from emerging markets such as China, India, etc., but it's also coming from a, a growing middle class that are opening up their sort of wallets to luxury items. Um, whether that's right or wrong, they're using, you know, they're using sort of buy now, pay later apps and things like that. But, you know, I think we see it around the streets that there's much more, you know, penetration in terms of Louis Vuitton's um, products um, in and around our society. So that that's an interesting one in itself. Mm. Another company that I, I sort of thought would be interesting, given yes, we're working from home, we're doing this remotely and we're hoping that, you know, in a few months we might be able to travel again, Um, but is Airbus. So Airbus is, you know, the competitor to Boeing, Um, very hard hit by COVID-19. And, you know, this company really, it's going to benefit from that reopening trade and around the world in US and in Europe, that reopening trade has already started. So as investors want to look for sort of unloved value stocks that were hardest hit by COVID, well, Boeing's going to be one of them. Um, this, again, is a company that it's ahead of the curve and exploring sort of zero emission planes as well. And it's looking increasingly at research into hydrogen power. So it's not sitting on its laurels. Um, yes, it's been hard hit by COVID, but it's a company that will probably still come back and fight strong. And so Airbus is, a, is another good example in terms of that value play that you might find within Europe that you wouldn't necessarily find, um, you know, if you look domestically. Mm. And then another final one I just wanted to touch on is a company called ASML. So, you know, I know this company well because we, you know, we really recently launched a, a semiconductor ETF, and ASML is one of the top holdings in that. And so, this is an IT company. It's a, a Dutch business, and it is it's often described as a company, one of the most important companies in the world that no one's ever heard of, um, because ASML are uh, integral. all their machines really, um, and their their lithography machines um, are integral in the production of semiconductors, which are really driving all electronics and future of automobiles, etc. So that company is the largest holding in the Eurosox 50 index. It's had considerable growth over the past 6 to 12 months because of that semiconductor shortage. And ASML hold a monopoly on that lithography system. So it is their IP. No one else has this machine. No one else can produce this machine. Last year when Donald Trump came out uh, as president of the US and said that they're going to ban the sale of these lithography machines to China, the New York Times did some work and said for Ch- the Chinese sort of local um, companies to get up to speed to the same level of the lithography machine that ASML have, it would take them about 10 years and a lot of in capital investment. And by then, it would probably be outdated. So
0: mm-hmm. you can
1: see there that already um, a company like that. So Europe's really interesting. It's got some very good value plays. It's also got a few little growth companies in there. Not little, but you know some, some, some growth companies in there that people may not be aware of. And as a result, we've seen considerable returns in the actual performance on, on the ETF. I think over... Five years, its annualized return is about over eleven percent. Over one year um, to the end of August, this is it's about twenty-eight point three percent. So again, really strong returns.
0: Yeah, it's. I think this is the. I think this is a business I heard about recently. ASML on a on a podcast. I was just reading about it, and um, the technology that they have is absolutely fascinating. What they can do to, to chips and to get basically all of the chip companies down to. That three, three nanometer yes. um, yep. chip size, which is incredible. So to think that this company in a globally critical vertical has a monopoly in that one important space is, is incredible. So that's inside the ETF too. Another thing that's really interesting, you mentioned the return, the tilt of value or, or like the return of value um, as, a, as a factor. Um, I, I I would call out that the sector allocations of um, the ESTX ETF is actually a lot more balanced than what you have here in Australia. So yes, there's still exposure to financials, but we in Australia, our market is very heavily tilted to financials, whereas over in Europe and inside the ETF, it's pretty much a dead rubber between IT, consumer discretionary, industrial, slightly smaller, but you get a really good mix of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting one in that respect too. And I think you know, there was a time there where some active managers were saying, you know, India over the US in terms of the weight. If you see that growth come back and there's companies like ASML, L'Oreal, um, even companies like Siemens and SAP, which I know are inside the, the ETF, these are great companies that investors should have exposure to. But one question that I might, just a quick question then is like, if you're thinking of putting this ETF in a portfolio, how are uh, how are you seeing people do that? Are they putting it in that Tactical or satellite exposure, or are they opting for it, you know, to kind of have it in that bottom draw core exposure and have it as a maybe say a slightly smaller position, but for a longer term?
1: So I, th- I think where we see it being used, especially from investment professionals that we speak to, is in that it's either as a core allocation, but for much more, it's a smaller allocation. So it's not as big as the US. So if you were to think about your portfolio, now I think every portfolio in Australia has an overweight to Australia because there's always that home yeah. bias. Um, but if you broke it down in terms of the size of the markets and ref- replicating your portfolio based on that, Australia makes up 2 2.5% two of the world. The US is about 50%. Europe as a region is about 20%. Now, hmm. if you were to take that into, into account, well, then it could be as high as 20% of your allocation um, within your portfolio. Okay. We sometimes don't necessarily see it as high but we can see it as a core building block. Um, And then the alternative is we do sometimes see it being used as a satellite as well. Um, As a tactical, as I said, I think that may have been the case five years ago when people were a bit out of love with Europe and were trying to time the market in terms of what was happening with Brexit, when is the right time to sort of play it. Right now I feel people are starting to come back to, to the fundamentals of investing and how to look at Europe. And it, it really, a lot of that geopolitical sort of, I guess, fervor and sort of, um, you know, the events around that, I, I don't think they're as um, as impactful on, on the economy at the moment and, and yeah. won't and will be. So I think people need to sort of come back to basics with Europe and it, it can definitely be a core and a satellite. And because the other thing is, Playing the tactical game, it's it, it can be a bit of a a, a hard a hard thing to do, um, especially from this perspective, and, and the payoff may not be as great as you would want it to be because you're investing in you know a broad diversified 50 stock portfolio. Um, yeah. So tactically, it's maybe in, you know not not the way essentially to play. I I, I do personally believe it it's a, it's a potential core allocation or, or a satellite.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense, and um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to play maybe too tactical, you would maybe go there's another route with something a bit more specific or individual positions or something like that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So how about then? Just before we come to them, we kind of should balance that a bit just in terms of risks that investors should be aware of. Um, you know, it's pretty low cost, zero point uh, three five, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of the management fee, mm-hmm. um, it's in terms of I'm just eyeballing the chart here, so I don't have like any of the, the standard metrics in front of me, but it looks like in terms of volatility, um, it's been reasonable. Um, so in terms of risks, what what kind of risks have you identified? Or what should be people be aware of? Because um, I, I, I guess Brexit is probably behind us now.
1: So Yeah, look, I think Brexit is behind us. I think also... Um, people may say from a value perspective, people may say, well, at a PE level, it's currently to the end of July, the actual index was trading at a PE ratio of about 25.8. So not, Mm. you know, not very, very cheap, not very expensive, but sort of, um, where it sits. But if you took out a company like ASML, which has about a 9% holding within the index, um, and the considerable growth that ASML is at, well, that PE ratio may come down a, a little bit. So, again, fundamentally on the broad basket of the stocks, um, definitely still considered um, more of a value play in terms of broad markets and say, the US, which always is seen as sort of at the moment as, a, as a very much a growth a growth story there. Uh, for investors, I guess, to consider is the allocation that they may have. So this is important, I think, when you're using ETFs um, is what overlap do you get? So if you were to have a global... Um, ETF or whether it be a global active manager, could there be an overlap? And so mm. taking that in cont- into consideration. So if you just Good invested point. in the US, then you're not going to have any overlap by just investing in the EurosOX 50 ETF and then investing in a an in India or an emerging market or an Asian ETF. So you're going to have minimal overlap between the three. But then if you looked at it and said, well, I've got investment in, say, And I'm going to use this example because obviously it's most current for for me um, in our new semiconductor ETF, um, the the SEMI product. Now that has a large allocation to ASML. So if you were to hold that and depending upon the weight you held that in your portfolio, now that is much more of a satellite exposure because it's a a thematic, Mm. but you have to take into consideration that you then have an overlap between ASML. Now, because depending upon how you're using the Eurostox 50 ETF, for example, if it was also a satellite, that exposure could be small. So it's okay to then hold, but it's just being aware of it in terms of are there overlaps between the different ETFs? Um, and especially when you look at thematics and sectors, um, global sectors, et cetera, there may be some overlap within, that, within this space as well.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fair point too. A lot of people do tend to collect um, when they come to ETFs and it's probably just knowing what role the ETF plays in the portfolio. Mm. So what is this, where does it sit within, you know, core or, or satellite? And then what's actually inside it, go to the ETF securities website, have a look. I was actually just, as you were talking then I actually just downloaded the portfolio composition because I just wanted to see what was outside the top 10, but was really interesting. And then there's companies like Volkswagen, uh, is it Danone? Um, we've got a uh, BMW Vivendi, heaps of really interesting businesses in here. Um, Adidas, like lots of businesses that if you just look at the top 10, you probably wouldn't realize they're in the Adyen, which is the global payments business, which I'm really excited about. That's a really interesting business. So lots of really interesting companies inside here. And you probably think, oh, they. you'd probably see these big names and you probably think, oh, they're US companies, but actually they're here in Europe. So um, really interesting ETF, mate. I'm glad you came on a chat about it. ESTX is the ticket code on the ASX. If people want to find out more, if people want to see the list of the 50 companies that are inside it, where can they go?
1: Yep. So the best place to go is our website. So that's um, etfsecurities.com.au. And just at the top there, there's a products tab. You can just hover your mouse over there and you'll come up with a list of our funds and you can click on the ESTX fund there. And as you said, you've got the product fly, the fact sheet, the product disclosure statement, the full holdings, um, and, and sort of some information on the fund and some articles and content as well.
0: Yeah, cool. I know you've done plenty of videos on not just this <laughs> ETF, but others, so plenty of resources on there. Great. Kanish, always a pleasure to chat, mate. Thanks for joining me.
1: No, thank you for having me on.